Welcome to the Unplanned Pause. This is a podcast about two friends' journey into the land of infertility. I'm Anne-Marie. And I'm Natasha. And we're both navigating our personal path to pregnancy and talking our way through it at the same time. Hi guys, it's episode number nine. We have been away for a little bit. We've been taking a little bit of a podcast holiday, haven't we, Annie? Yeah, I mean, I just think the intensity of lockdown and doing one every week, uh, just, it was too much for me. I needed a little bit of a break, but I am back refreshed. And um, we're going to try and do this every two weeks rather than every week um, going forward. And I hope that works for all of our listeners. It probably means on a personal level, it's different to you, Tash, but I will have a little bit more to say, I think. (laughs) (laughs) rather than week after week of nothing (laughs) Um, and I think hopefully we'll be a bit more energized I felt like in the last episode I was like yeah we just do this and it's so boring (laughs) so um, I'm hoping we'll deliver a better product (laughs) can we even say lockdown anymore like what is the are we in lockdown well okay you know what I think Tasha I think the UK is no longer really in lockdown but I on a personal level I'm kind of still on a lockdown I don't know if you feel this way Um, so basically for our listeners outside of the UK um well basically specifically England the pubs opened on the 4th of July which was last this day last week um and uh lots of other things too but I think you and I our focus was the fact that the pubs were open but what's the point in going if you yourself are not drinking and you know don't get me wrong I am all for sitting in a pub and having a non-alcoholic drink definitely but last week when the weather wasn't good I just didn't feel like sitting in a kind of a dull pub garden feeling really really infertile and you know I guess maybe I just felt like it was best to stay away yeah it's funny isn't it because I I love it you and I were talking and um (laughs) like the coronavirus didn't even come up (laughs) we're just like I don't want to go to a pub if I'm not drinking (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly it's not even <laughs> it's just like fucking FOMO you know <laughs> yeah 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 that's what it is yeah and like obviously you know especially for you since you've been undergoing treatment yeah it probably would be wisest for you to stay away but yeah I, I think the things we were thinking know, about it wasn't it just wasn't <laughs> even about that yeah and the one thing I'm really terrified of right now is catching a cold because yeah. I can't you know they take temperature checks in the clinic and I'm just like if someone's snotty like I don't you know coronavirus is to me it's like um it's like the last thought I know it should be an important thought but I'm it kind of goes can I drink will I catch a cold <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do I have time oh yes yeah. and coronavirus so yeah. yeah what what have you felt Annie with with this um pubs and restaurants reopening I have to admit I had a little bit of um second peak anxiety oh yeah I mean we'll get on to this a little bit later when we talk about my treatment but yes I'm really concerned about a second peak I Mm. guess I guess as long as we do things responsibly we should be able to tolerate a level of coronavirus but not you know have our our health systems flooded maybe you know do we have to just trust that the government know what they're doing 
Yeah. I don't, I don't um, know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that probably sounds a bit more positive than I am, but you know, what's what's the other alternative? Keep everything closed? I mean that that is just not a long term viable option. Yeah. So I am worried about a second peak, but I wonder if by not bringing people together in the way that we were before, will it just mean that yes, coronavirus picks up a little bit, but not to an unsustainable level? That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think we are we should prepare ourselves for um peak anxiety in terms of uh if it's like you already said, if it's not now, then when is it? Because things have to reopen and there's always going to be some form of uh COVID related peak anxiety, I think. So it's yeah. just trying to navigate that as part of a a new element to our fertility journeys I guess yeah and you know what Tasha I'm in the denial phase like I can't think about it because when I think about it I get too down so I just I'm like yeah okay I'll deal with that when that happens right now I'm going to try and hope personally not engage too much in large group activities um or at all and um yeah hope for the best yeah it kind of does bring a kind of a neat segue into Um, my treatment update and I don't know mine is quite short so do you want me to go first yep okay so the long-awaited appointment for the 6th of July came up last Monday and I think uh, Alex and I were joking about afterwards how Friday sorry Sunday the 5th of July was a really low point for both of us because I was really nervous about the appointment and what it would entail and what Mm. we would learn and all of our friends were texting us saying do you want to go to pub you know pubs are open and and we were like oh we probably could because probably nothing is going to happen but we probably shouldn't so it was a bit of a kind of a no man's land and anyway um I digress we went for the appointment on Monday I hadn't been up in London for a really long time that was a bit weird and when we got to the clinic uh there was no one else there in the waiting room and we were given so many forms to sign like signs forms like related to um embryo collection and um related to we had to sign a lot of forms about coronavirus and like undertaking IVF you know during the Mm -hmm. pandemic and those kind of things so I kind of got quite excited in the in the waiting room I was like oh this is gonna happen and then we got into the room um with a lovely uh gynecologist and she was the other one was like the lead of the ACU and she was like you know we talked for a while and she was like it's going to be six to eight months uh that that is um notwithstanding a second wave and uh I if I'm honest Tash I had actually cleverly or not I would say quite stupidly done a lot of digging about my um, clinic which is guys online Mm. and I had found someone who said that they weren't starting treatment until January 2021 but to be honest as soon as I read that I closed down the page I panicked and I was like I don't want to read any more about this so I kind of knew that there would be a wait but basically what I said to the woman was I obviously cried and I was like look we are in this I was like we're not one of those couples that are going to go off your books we have no sperm so like we're going to be here where nothing is going to change for us but I was like the thing that really worries me most is I cannot wait six or eight months to know whether Alex has sperm or not we you know because I don't mind if we have to move on to donor sperm but the waiting of that is just it's oh. too agonizing 
So actually, she was really helpful. She has said that she will schedule Alex's operation in the next few weeks. Um, so they will, they'll do that separately and then freeze his sperm if they find some. And um, she also said that because of, and this is very unfair, and I know that plenty of listeners may not have this in their um, their commissioning group, but our commissioning group is set up such that we can have a round of IVF before we take up our NHS funding. So mm-hmm. she was like, you can do that if you want to. And um, so we're going to do that. So it okay. means that when in six to eight months, um, our co- time comes up again, we will be able to access that funding. And there's a lot of little jigsaw pieces that have to happen. So, you know, we, Alex needed to get some bloods taken, just like the hep C, hep B and HIV bloods um, that you have to have within three months mm-hmm. of having any procedure. So he got those last Monday. And once we get the results of that, we can book in his uh, extraction. So that's kind of the next hurdle on the horizon. Um, wow. What a week. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How did it feel making the decision to go private for one round? Do you think that has somewhat eased your anxiety a little bit or... Yeah, so I think that in the meeting she was like, I don't I can't really talk to you about private very much and I didn't really mm-hmm. understand what she was saying, but when I came home and did my own research, I uh we made the decision pretty quickly. You know, I for my own mental health, we can't wait that long. Um yeah. and so it feels good. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go for the same clinic that we're getting our NHS treatment at, partly because it's easy to get to on the train. And I, I think the people there are really good. Everyone that we've met from there, that from that clinic, I've been really happy with the the the, the way they've talked us through everything. And yeah, so I don't have any concerns about that. Um, it's a lot of money, but you know, I think it's worth it. But in two weeks' time, hopefully, we'll either have had the extraction or have a date. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm back in limbo land, but limbo land where I know something is going to happen in the next six weeks. So. I can live with that. Yeah. 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 And I you know, once you get going privately, it's it can be so quick, which is really is a lot of relief, I think. Yeah, and you know, can I just pass a political comment here? Isn't it so interesting how in the very same clinic the NHS patients have to wait six to eight weeks, six to eight months, and you can pay and wait zero. In the same yep. clinic. I mean, that is so infuriating. Yeah, I mean, I guess from a societal and equality perspective, it sucks, yeah. right? Yeah, it's really horrible. And yeah, um, so I, yeah, that's my update, really. So I, I feel, I have to say, I feel lucky. Um, but yeah, it's a long old wait, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So cool. tell us about you, because I think when we last spoke, you hadn't actually started any of your treatment. Yeah, it's been a while. So um, last time we spoke, I had had my hysteroscopy, mm-hmm. um, which I had been pretty excited about. Um, the clinic actually really haven't still talked to me about the results of that biopsy, so I need to to get some information from them on that. But to be honest, it's dropped off the um, list of things because we've had quite a few updates since. Um, so I've been on my withdrawal medication, which is a lovely thing called nozoristrone um and after I took that for 10 days and after that I had a bleed um which was great so I was glad it came on time (laughs) (laughs) you never know really when that's gonna come yeah um and then we started stims so I was a little bit surprised that 
my stims hadn't really grown in medication amount from the last time I did IVF. And the reason that I was um, surprised by that is because obviously I'm a year older and um, my AMH level has dropped, which is completely normal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's still it's still fine, but it's completely normal for my age. Um, so I was on pretty much the same medication level as last year. And um, so I've been stimming and that mm-hmm. has included um, most, for the most part of it, three injections a day. So I take um, Gonalaf in the morning, no, sorry, Gonalaf in the evening, uh, something called Fermadal, which stops your ovulation um, in the morning. And I take uh, Menopore, which is uh, another stimming drug in the evening as well. Um, and you put them in yourself or does Tom put them in or how do you work it? <laughs> yeah, do you know, it's interesting. So in the NHS, you're allowed to put them in kind of anywhere in your legs, in your thigh, you know, wherever you want. Um, whereas my private clinic has advised to only put that in the stomach, which I find that really, really squeamish. Like it's just too close. I don't know, it's too close. I think if it's on my legs, I can do it. But on my stomach itself, I just... I just can't. So Tom has to do that. (laughs) And like, I can tell when he's a bit grumpy with me because I'm I'm sure he does it a bit quicker. (laughs) All the time, Um, I'm sure. Yeah. I have to say, like, I never bruised before and I've got some little bruises, Um, but it's not been too bad, you know, it's not been too bad. Um, So that's where we are now towards the end of my stimming phase. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've had a bit of an anxious week, if I'm not going to lie. Um, my little follicles are a little bit behind. They're mm. they're tracking a little bit um, behind. They're a little bit late. Um, Tom thinks that's um, probably quite right for us. We always normally running late, and we're not the most <laughs> organised people. So he likes to equate a lot of what we do and what we have to um, just our personality, which um, <laughs> is probably not scientifically correct. Um, so what they've done is, I was supposed to have my egg collection on Monday, but they pushed it back till Wednesday. Okay. And um, they are stimming me. I'm getting double meds for the last three days. Okay. So yes. So you're expecting huge growth. I'm hoping so. I mean, so between the two scans I had, my follicles hadn't really grown at all. But Tasha, can you explain if when you were having your NHS treatment, how many scans did you have in terms of? your yeah. follicle development and how did, how many have you had now okay so I just I, I'm going to preface this with um it might be better to have more scans and it might be worse okay so if anyone's on the NHS and they're not having as many scans I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing okay um so on the NHS I had two scans mm-hmm. and on private I've had I will have had four okay or five okay um and so I think it can be, so when I was tracking for my IVF last year, my follicles were also a little bit behind. Okay. But they left more time between the scans. And I think I think they make a decision, a faster decision in the NHS. Okay. Um, so if they were going to double my meds last time, they would have done it sooner because you have fewer scans. And I think... It's an interesting one. I think having lots of scans 
can be a good thing in that you're tracking very closely. Um, but I think it can sometimes delay decisions as well. Mm. Um, and I think that also the time that it takes out of your week whilst you're stimming is, mm-hmm. is quite a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in on Friday and my follicles hadn't grown and I left and then they rang me up late Friday and said, you need to come back in to get more medication. Um, and I, you just couldn't imagine that with the NHS, like with the NHS, it'd be like, right, we're doing this or we're not doing it. It's just, I guess it's interesting just to compare the two, yeah. what, what kind of service you get or what, you mm-hmm. know, your experiences are. Yeah. And I think it's because the NHS doesn't have time to, you know, ring, get the doctor to ring you specifically. But sometimes that isn't necessarily a bad, bad thing. thing. Yeah. Um, so I can't really say it's very difficult to compare cycles, but we were, you know, we did have some interesting issues. And the NHS actually took time to talk to me about um, last time when my follicles were tracking a little bit behind. I, I had a bit more time to ask questions and they explained that I have a high AMH, which is great for creating more eggs, but actually I have my antrophollicle count is a little bit lower. So that means that um, whilst I can create lots of eggs, it's harder for me to um, bring them to maturity or have those longer follicles. Okay. So I felt like the NHS actually discovered that um, a bit more than my private clinic. Um, Annie, I haven't listened to this recording. One thing I'm excited about with our next guest is that... Um, as you mentioned, there's lots of uh, pivots and lots of times when um, things weren't going according to plan. And I feel like that is really quite, um, you know, interesting for me in this time, especially with my follicles not growing as they should be. And also with <clears throat> the fact that we've had some interesting sperm results uh, mm. back this week so our sperm results we knew that there were some issues and it seems like over time some of those issues uh, have got worse um so this week has been uh one of those weeks where any you would say we have to pivot <laughs> yeah <laughs> we have to think about how are we adapting our plan um you know how 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 are we going to react? And it's so interesting because you kind of feel like you go through that first IVF cycle and everything went fairly okay. And I don't know if I was expecting to learn anything else this cycle. I thought it would, I thought it'd be harder because I'm a year older. We're both a year older, but I didn't expect to learn new things mm. um, or and, and necessarily learn new bad things. So I'm in that frame of white mind this week. So I'm really interested in looking um, we're listening to this podcast and and the recording that you've done. Yeah, so our guest this week is Andrea Hines Itro, and she has had a donor egg. She also won't mind me saying that she was forty four when she gave birth to um, her now little baby, and um, she the interview with her just came at a really good time for me when I was, if I'm honest, feeling a little bit sorry for myself and just thinking about how. Alex and I are going to have to not necessarily pivot the care that we're getting, but pivot our timeline. And she is, if you are listening and feeling in any way uh, down about your own situation, she will give you some positivity because they pivoted on so many occasions and did so with a can-do attitude and expecting success. And they had success. And um, she talks a lot through the process behind um, choosing a donor egg. And I think not just if you were 
in the situation where you're making that choice yourself um but if who knows what the road will bring for any one of us so um it made me think that really good things can come from changing your plans and reassessing your situation and thinking okay well we we know what the end goal is we want to fall pregnant and have a baby how do we get there and how can we do that in a positive way and so um, I hope you guys enjoy Andrea she's so helpful to me at you know and that's why Tasha and I have just had a bit of a pep talk where I'm like no you got to just pivot this is our word of the week isn't it pivot. <laughs> absolutely so please uh, have a listen and enjoy and do as always and um, give us your feedback so Andrea thanks so much for joining us today thanks for having me um, Andrea, you have such a positive story to tell and there are so many facets of your story that I think that listeners will be really interested in. Um, I know we're kind of going to focus on the aspect of egg donation, but I know lots of people will be interested in hearing about using a clinic abroad as well mm-hmm. and also being a slightly older mum. I hope you don't mind me saying that. No, that's fine. <laughs> do you want to start at the start? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, um, I can I can do that. Start a little bit and kind of let you know how, how we ended up um, with egg donation. So as you said, we, I am an older mom. Um, you know, my husband and I met um, later in life. We were, you know, we were 39 years old. Um, I hadn't really planned on that, but I met my son late, late in life. And so when it came time for us to start a family, um, we were already in our 40s. And um, for us, we, you know, once we decided to get married and, and you know, we, we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, um, the, the starting the family part actually came as a bit of a priority over actually having the having the wedding, um, just because of because of my age and even um, my doctor actually recommended that we get started um, sooner rather than later because of our age. So um, what we did is we 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 started to to try to have a have a child. Um, I had had fibroid surgery about um, four or five months um, earlier. Um, but I'd had a, a hysteroscopy and they they did a check and everything looked good. And they said, you know, that my uterus was in, was in really good health and really good condition. So there was no reason why we couldn't start. Um, and, you know, for us, because you know, my husband and I are quite practical, we knew that it would be maybe take us a little bit longer. So right away, mm-hmm. we started using an ovulation test kit um, just to make sure that we were trying to conceive at, at the right time when we we're most likely to get pregnant. And that's a that's a path that we actually followed for for about a year. Um, and I think even though we we knew it could potentially take us a bit longer, still, you know, month after month, when my period came, we we're constantly feeling a bit disappointed. You know, I thought, well, you know, I'll be one of those moms who, who does conceive naturally um, when she's in her 40s. Um, and after about a year of trying and, and, and nothing happening, um, we decided to go to um, a clinic in London just to essentially get a reproductive health checkup. And it was a, a clinic that um, came on the recommendation um, of some friends who had had IVF treatment there. And it just started out pretty straightforward. We went in, we made an appointment. My husband had his tests. I had my tests, um, you know, just a series of of blood tests really. Um, And then I had um, kind of a a, a trans, um, transvaginal scan as well to check the the health of my uterus. My tests checked out fine. Um, They said that, you know, for my my age and even having quite uh, major surgery to remove fibroids, 
um, my uterus was in really good health, but they did notice that my husband's sperm count was incredibly low. And so they thought that was probably why we were having trouble conceiving. Um, they thought that we probably would have a less than 1% chance of conceiving naturally. So that for us was really, we were like, okay, there's, there's your answer. There, there's our answer. Um, yeah. The consultant we saw, um, I mean, I, I loved her from the minute we saw her. She was very, she was very straightforward. She, you know, she just told it like it was. She, everything was rooted in data, which really worked for me because that's how I was able to kind of under, understand um, what we were facing. Um, but what they wanted to do to start was to have a, get a deeper understanding of why my husband potentially had um, a low sperm count. So one of the mm-hmm. things they did um, a kind of chromosomal analysis. Uh, and one of the things they were looking at in particular was whether or not he was um, a carrier of the cystic fibrosis of cystic fibrosis. Yes. Um, Cause as you know, that's a contributing factor to um, yeah. low sperm count. <laughs> and so we did that test uh, and it came back um, actually that he wasn't a carrier um, and they didn't really know why he had a low sperm count, but um, my husband, when he was uh, an infant, he had an undescended testicle and he had had surgery for that. And they thought that that might be the reason why. And so that was, like you said, that was basically, that was our answer. And, you know, our consultant was very positive that, okay, we know what the problem is. Let's, um, let's, let's start. We, I have, this is what I recommend. She re- recommended um, ICSI. Um, treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also recommended we go one step thir- uh, further with um, pre-implantation genetic screening. Okay, um, And that was primarily due to um, our age, or my age rather, um, but primarily mine. So ultimately what that does is it takes um, the, the, the embryos when they're at the day five blastocyst stage, um, they take a sample from them and they do basically a, a screening of it to see if there's any chromosomal um, abnormalities and kind of the aim for that is in our case was to find the best possible um, embryo to transfer um, mm-hmm. because chromosomal abnormalities those often cause um, they do contribute to um, miscarriages yes so, you have a higher incidence of exactly miscarriage. Um, yeah. and again because Uh, you know, kind of almost biology 101, as women get older, we kind of only have a set number of eggs. And as you get older, those eggs kind of, they get older along with you and older eggs are more likely to, um, to result in chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So we, that's the route we went down. Um, You know, and initially the consultant recommended two rounds of egg collection just to try and get as many eggs and as a result embryos as possible. And that was kind of our starting point. And I, th- I think for us, we, we came out of these initial meeting or these initial consultations, just feeling really empowered um, because we, we had a plan. We knew what the problem was and, and, and yes. we had a plan. And for us, it was, it was kind of easy. We figured, okay, this is, this is the route we have to go to to have a child. So we, we didn't really struggle with that at all. Um, yes, the, the drugs and the process and the, the back and forth, it is emotionally challenging. It is physically challenging. But for us, we had kind of accepted that, you know, that that was going to be our, our route to parenthood. So that's where we kind of started was with um, two, um, two egg collection um, and kind of embryo creation cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it was after the two. We actually, my A collections were always very good. The first collection, we got 15 eggs. Wow, um, okay. And it was actually funny. I remember being in the recovery after the, the collection and the woman next to me who'd come up just before me, she came out of her, her collection and she was in a lot of pain and they only got three eggs. And I remember thinking, oh my God, three eggs. But the one thing I, I've learned through all of this is it doesn't matter how many eggs, it's just one good egg one good yeah, embryo. Yeah, you just need one. Exactly. And here <laughs> I was, like I was, sperm. yeah, exactly. And what I was getting was I had 15. I was like, woohoo, 15. I, you know, we fist bumped afterwards and I, I was kind of <laughs> on a high. Um, and from that, you know, you do expect that not all the eggs were fertilized. Um, I think we ended up with six embryos. So six day three embryos, which we then put in the freezer. Great. Which is still a healthy number. It was still a healthy number. So we went yeah. through the second cycle we, we didn't get as many eggs, but, uh, and I think we got about, um, three or four embryos out of, out of that. Um, and so we're really happy. So we had, you know, good solid kind of nine, nine embryos. The physician then recommended that we do one more egg collection embryo creation cycle to batch for the the PGS testing. She wanted to get okay. as many as possible because, so to do PGS testing, they take those day three embryos, they grow them to day five blastocysts, and then they they biopsy those those day five. And the expectation is that you essentially lose some of those embryos when you grow them to day five. They don't grow to day five, and then when you send them for the PGS testing, you 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 expect to lose a, a certain number of them. Okay. Um, so we had the third cycle and when all was said and done, um, we had four day five embryos that we were able to biopsy and, um, send for the, the PGS testing. Okay. And after having all those eggs, I think we had upwards of, oh God, it was well over 20 eggs that were collected overall to only have the four embryos. I think I felt a little dejected by that, but I, again, yeah. I remember my consultant saying, she's like, Andrea, all I need is one good embryo to get you pregnant. She goes, I'm confident I'm going to get you pregnant. And I think mm -hmm. she was so confident all along and I, and she really gave us a, gave us a lot of hope. Um, mm -hmm. So we went and we, we sent them off um, and it was about a six week wait and almost six weeks to the day um, we got, I, I was actually sitting in, in a, I was in a three day meeting for a client in Geneva and I saw that the clinic had, I'd missed call from the clinic and I thought, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this call. So for the next three days, I was just, me and the embryologist were just playing phone tag. Um, so, <laughs> which was just, I was like, oh my God, I just really wanted to talk to him. Um, so know, I just yeah. wanted to know, right? And, it, and he just, of course, he had like just a very um, neutral tone in, in his in his voice messages to me you're um, trying to read between the lines yeah exactly <laughs> and I remember calling my husband I'm like I can't I can't get a hold of the embryologist and he said just relax you will talk to him I'm like, yeah 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 whatever so anyways I was actually in the on the way back to London I was sitting in Geneva airport when the embryologist managed to get through to me um and it was in Geneva airport actually where I found out that um all of our embryos were um abnormal not suitable oh. for implantation and that oh, they were okay. going to have to be discarded. And oh I mean, I, I'd hoped for that one. Um, but there I was mm. sat at the gate in Geneva airport crying. Uh, mm. And I, I kind of think back to that moment and I thought oh, that must've been quite a sight, but um, 
a colleague of mine who, who knew the process that I was going through, she just kind of sat there and she held my hand. And the embryologist on the other end of the phone, he said, listen, I know this is really upsetting. Your doctor will have a chat with you about, you know, next steps, but I can, I can get a, a counselor to call you back right away. If, if, if mm. you feel like you need to talk to someone. And all I kept saying was, I just really need to talk to my husband. Um, so he let me go <laughs> and I called my husband and I told him and I, I mean, it was hard because I, I didn't want to break the news to him that way, but I was about to get on this this flight and I knew I wouldn't be able to make it through that flight without having told him. Of course, um, yeah. So we told him and he said, listen, you'll be home in a few hours. Let's chat then. So I sat on the plane and I uh, treated myself to a glass of wine because through my all my egg collection cycles, I hadn't been drinking at all. Of um, course. <laughs> and I was just, you know, my body is a temple and I'm not going to drink and I'm going to be very healthy. Yeah. We'll take all the supplements <laughs> and I, I drank wine um and the you know the flight landed and, and I came home and I think I walked through the door and the first thing I did was kind of I started to cry a little bit and he's like okay let's let's see what the doctor says and I think to some to some degree I was expecting her to maybe broach the subject of egg donation in in that meeting in that next appointment we had with her and we went in and she sat down and she looked at me and she's like, I'm really disappointed. She says, I'm sure you are. And I kind of start to cry right away. And she's like, I was really confident that we get at least one. She goes, but she mm. goes, let's talk about what we can do. Um, and she said that often um, they don't necessarily recommend any, any, you know, any more than kind of three cycles of egg collection. Um, but she said, if you want, we can, we can do more. They don't recommend, definitely don't recommend any more than six. Um, I think cause it's okay. quite aggressive. It is quite hard on the body. Um, but she said, if you want, she goes, why don't, why don't we consider doing, you know, maybe just one or two more, um, if, if you want. And, uh, we, we first actually kind of reviewed the results of the PGS testing with her. And ultimately what it was, was there was multiple chromosomal abnormalities with all the embryos. Um, some they're able to pinpoint, um, uh, some they weren't they were just so abnormal that they wouldn't have even took they wouldn't have resulted in a pregnancy at all others would have resulted probably would have resulted in a pregnancy but I would have miscarried so you were quite lucky ultimately that you had done that those tests yeah it and did I think, save you it, yeah and it's, it's actually funny you should say that because a lot of people did say they're like well at least you know you didn't you didn't have the transfer and you didn't miscarry and which, which is true. And I understand that sentiment. I think to some degree though, I still felt like I was still losing, you know, a, 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 I felt like I was still kind of losing a pregnancy because. Yeah. Of course. That point. And it was, you know, one of your, your earlier episodes, you do talk about grief. And I think um, you guys were saying, you know, well, are you allowed to almost grieve because you haven't really had a miscarriage? You haven't suffered a loss in, in kind of that sense and I always wondered if if I should be grieving if I should feel lucky or if I should um you know if I or if I, sh I should feel feel grief over it and I think the answer to that is a little bit of both because I do feel like I mm. I lost something and in that moment and in that appointment um when, when the next words out of her mouth were you know maybe we should consider egg donation I suddenly felt my own biological child slipping away from me a little bit and the first, the first thing I thought of, and I know this is gonna sound silly and maybe a bit, a bit superficial, was what's the first thing people do when, when someone has a child? They pull out baby pictures of mom and dad and they say, "Oh, what does baby look like?" 
and mm. all and I remember my sister when she had her her first child who was the spitting image of her um and we all thought it was really funny that Valentino looked exactly like Jenny but I I felt like would I would I almost recognize myself in a child if if it wasn't you know genetically mine if it didn't have a strand of my my DNA and that's the the only thing I kept thinking of is, you know, mm. are we going to pull up pictures of me as a baby? Because we'll know full well that this child biologically isn't, isn't mine or doesn't, you know, doesn't have my DNA. And that was such a, even, even now I kind of think about that sometimes and it's, it's actually quite a funny experience, but, you know, she, she brought it up and we thought, okay, let, let's think about it. But in the meantime, we're going to go ahead with, with another two to egg collection cycles and kind of our, our rationale for that was I wanted to give my body every chance it had to to, to have a, a child that was actually a decision kind of my husband and I between the the clinic and the, the tube station it was it's like maybe three minutes <laughs> we decided okay we're gonna do another two cycles and we're gonna put ourselves on the egg donor list um so yeah so that's how we kind of started the the path down egg donation <laughs> Okay, wow. So what happened then? So just to give us a, a version of kind of uh, where we are in time, how yeah. long ago did that happen? That was uh, the fall of 2017. Okay. So it was, I think it was okay. around, it was just, yeah, it was just after our wedding. So it was, um, I think it was like October, November. Okay. Yeah. So what happened next? What happened next was we went through, <laughs> we went through another, another two cycles um, of, of egg collection but in the meantime we started the process for the for the egg donation so kind of the first yeah so the first step so we were kind of doing it we, we kind of accepted that we might very well um not get any embryos out of this egg collection cycle so which is why we decided to kind of start it right away because the process for egg donation um does take a little bit longer mm. um so that's why we decided to kind of work on it at the same time it, all we had to do is put it didn't really cost us anything to to put us on the list it was just getting on on a wait list um okay. so that first step the first step for that was um actually seeing a, a counselor um and i think all clinics are a little bit different some strongly recommend that you, you see a count any couple um, considering egg donation sees a counselor um our clinic required it um and you know i found that that was invaluable that initial session for me was so helpful because it just allowed my husband and I to sit down and really fully process together what was going on. And I think that was, mm. I was going through a very emotional time because I knew the husband, the, the, the child, um, if we ended up down the donor route, would genetically be my husband. Um, but I didn't, and I felt like I was the one that was really struggling because, you know, when the child wouldn't have my DNA it was when we sat down that I realized how much of an impact that that had on my husband and I, it sounds maybe as being a little bit selfish but I was really focused on how this was really impacting me and I just remember him saying you know he's like of course I'm I'm, I'm sad about this I want us to start a family of Andrea and I, you know I'll start it any way any way we have to but you know I, I, of course I wanted a child that has her her little squishy nose and, and her fluffy hair. And I remember just bursting into tears, again, bursting into tears um, at that. And I, I hadn't really thought about that, that he would be missing something um, Too. in that as well. Yeah. And, you know, so that was the kind of 
one thing that we talked through with the counselor and the other thing we talked through, which I hadn't even crossed my mind was, you know, how do you talk to your child about the fact that they were conceived through a donor egg? And it, funny, it, it, mean, it seems like an obvious thing, but it, it actually wasn't that obvious. Um, we're no under, you know, under no obligation to tell him that he was a donor egg, but mm-hmm. um, the counselor was like, you know, most parents do want to tell um, just because you don't want to find, you know, yourself in a position where it comes out accidentally or yeah. you're sitting in a doctor's appointment with your child and they're asking about family history and that's that's how it comes out um, yes but one really interesting piece of advice that she gave she said most people just kind of make it part of the conversation it's not a big grand reveal it's not mm. um you know it, it's not it, it, it's there's, it's not a huge moment in time it's just something that's known um, treated as a fact yeah exactly and yeah. that's that's something that I hadn't considered so that was that session alone was really good at helping us kind of my husband and I really talk and kind of process what we we're going through emotionally but also consider some of the practicalities of it um, that was kind of the, the first step and then it was filling up the forms and the, the kind of that administrative side of it and it was actually a, a bit of a, a funny one because it's like an A4 sheet, two sides that you fill out and you think, oh my God, this is my future child that, that, um, yeah. that we're putting on there. And it was, it's pretty basic information. They, um, you know, information for me and my husband in terms of our physical characteristics. So hair color, eye color, hair texture, um, build, height, weight, religion, blood type, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So we each filled that out for ourselves. And then there's a section where you, you kind of list all the things you'd be willing to accept in, in a donor basically all the exact same questions and it's funny because we got to to a point on on hair and my husband and I both have dark curly hair but my sisters have straight blonde hair and so I said well we could you know theoretically any child that we did have that was biologically yours and mine could have straight blonde hair like my sisters because yeah somewhere in our my my family someone had straight blonde hair and uh he's like yeah but you don't so <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it was also funny because I circled my husband's eyes as, as brown and it, he, at that moment I realized that he thinks his eyes are green so we had a debate over whether his eyes were brown or green so it's quite, it quite a funny situation but um, we if for, for the potential donor we did say brown or green eyes uh, because we couldn't agree on his eye color but um, yeah so you basically fill out a form and you, you send that in and you sit back and you, and you wait <laughs> Okay. So in the meantime, we had actually gone through our, our two cycles at that point. Um, and it was while we were waiting for the results of the second round of PGS testing from those cycles that um, that we got a call from the donation coordinator at our clinic in London. And she said, listen, we just met. Um, unfortunately, at this time, we don't have any suitable, suitable donors. And I think that was a bit of a almost a slap in the face and when I said to her I said well how long is the wait list usually and she said well we don't have people coming in and offering up their eggs on kind of on a daily basis so it does take some time and I was again a bit taken aback by that I don't think she meant to be so blunt in her delivery Mm. but it was quite blunt and yeah you're like so what do you mean like six years or six weeks yeah exactly and Mm. for the first time I felt really out of control because Mm. obviously you know we didn't have any embryos, we didn't have any eggs, we didn't have a donor egg. 
And so we were, we're a bit like, oh God, what are, like, what do we do now? Um, mm. And that's when my husband said, okay, why don't we start looking abroad? And um, at, at um, IVF clinics there. And, and we decided to start looking in Greece, uh, mainly because my husband's Greek. It was, it was convenient mm-hmm. for us. We had some recommendations of clinics from some of our friends in Greece. Um, so that seemed like a, a good place to, to start. And it just so happened we were in Greece for, um, for the Greek Orthodox Easter. And we managed to get in to see, um, just do kind of an initial chat with, um, with a clinic in Athens. Um, mm-hmm. And we'd also made an appointment with the clinic from Thessaloniki, who um, they actually have quite a few UK um, patients. So they do information days at the time they're doing information days kind of every every quarter, I think it was um, in London. So we, we booked an appointment there. So that worked really well for us um, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. And then it kind of felt like, okay, we're kind of taking back the control a little bit. <laughs> uh, we're, yeah. we're doing something because otherwise, you know, we could have just been sitting there waiting for this, for this donation. Yeah, so I can't, you know, kind of what happened next is we we met the clinic in Athens. Um, we had our meeting with the in London with the clinic from Thessaloniki, uh, and it was about a week and a half after our meeting with the clinic from Thessaloniki where we um, actually heard from our clinic in London that they had a, a donor for us. And wow. Okay. So yeah, so all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, oh, now it's all happening. And yeah. They kind of gave me a list of the characteristics of, of this potential donor. And she said, take a few days, think about it and come back to us. And so I called my husband right away and I was excited. He said, okay, great. This is great news. Let's chat about it tonight. And what happened next was really, I think, a little bit surprising for us. And I think for us, we we're like, at any cost, we, will, we obviously wanted to start a family. Uh, and we we're, we're going to do whatever it, it took. And we sat down and we looked at the characteristics. And... Um, you know, she had, she had brown eyes and she had brown hair and I can't remember height exactly, but she was a little bit shorter than I was. And, and, uh, you know, they look at some of their interests and education. So we kind of looked at that and we're like, wow, she looks great. And we're like, okay, let's, let's think about it for a few days. But and it's in that moment when it's actually kind of weird. So, so you know full well that when you have a child, you're never going to be guaranteed that your child will have blue eyes or curly hair, or that they'll be tall or whatever it is. But yeah. I suddenly became, you suddenly became fixated on the features that weren't similar to mine, which in this case was almost everything. She had brown hair, but it was straight. Um, she had brown eyes and I have blue eyes. Um, I've, you know, I have curly hair, uh, I'm tall and she was a little bit shorter. And it's, again, it sounds almost a bit superficial, but for me, I really wanted a donor that had blue eyes. Um, okay. And I, I don't know why I became fixated on the fact that I wanted a donor with blue eyes. I knew that even if it was, you know, my egg and, and Elias' sperm that this child may very well not have blue eyes. She might, he or she might have green eyes or brown eyes or whatever color eyes my husband has. But, um, <laughs> um, but I became fixated on the blue eyes and my husband, he became fixated on the height. And he's like, when I first met you, because I remember, you know, you walking into the bar that we met at and he's in, and you were just his, you know, you were so tall and he's like, and I love how tall you are. And so for us, those are the things that became really important. And, and a lot of people were like, well, you're never guaranteed that. And, and it's, it's actually funny that my husband chose that the height to be something to be um, really fixated on because his mother's really, really petite. <laughs> so we, we know full well that, you know, if she, 
gets the height from from his from his paternal grandmother he might not be very tall but yeah. um for us it's just we wanted to know that you know that all the characteristics that that I have were going to be in that egg potentially so that yeah. we had the chance that that the child would, would take on you know some some of my characteristics so um I remember the, the day we kind of decided that this donor wasn't right for us we're, we're sitting on the sofa and we just agreed okay this isn't for us we don't know how long it's going to be and I think it was part, the part we really struggled with is is it going to be another three weeks is it going to be six weeks is it going to be six months and we're here we're turning down a perfectly good donor but we mm. it's you know it's not like buying a house and you can live with the fact that you know you have you know a small yard or, or you don't have a yard or whatever this is you know our our, our child um, yeah yeah and, and most people don't choose an egg for their child yeah so, exactly and you know <laughs> how can you know what you would do it's almost too much inform- it was almost that fine line yeah too much and not having enough information yes um, I see what you're saying so yeah. yeah so we decided to to turn it down and that's when we, we we turned to the we chose the the clinic in Thessaloniki and we said listen we've um they've come to us with a donor that we didn't feel was suitable um you know the PGS results came back on on the last two collections and we've lost all the embryos so we'd like to proceed and, and get put on your donor list and the way the clinic in Thessaloniki did it was, was slightly different than our London clinic um the London clinic relied on a like a, a donor um egg bank uh, mm-hmm. the clinic in they would um they would reach out to certain people that that had expressed interest in donation um and approach them to see if they were interested in in offering donor for for uh for a couple so the the, the forms that we filled out for them were the same um we you know we gave them a, a picture of us but that was just for for their own kind of the clinic's use um and i think after i think it was about maybe three or four months Actually, I didn't even think it was that long. Um, I was on my way to work one day and I was kind of looking at my phone. I was looking for a, a Spotify playlist and I saw that the clinic in, um, I had an email from, from the patient coordinator in Thessaloniki and she said, oh, dear Andrea and Elias, she's like, we, um, she's like we've, we have a potential donor for you. And I was so excited. I wasn't paying attention. I, like I walked into a poll. I was on my way to the train station. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was frantically trying to dial dial my husband and I kept I, I, I don't my, my fingers weren't even operating and I, I called him and I said I go read read the email read the email from Krista I'm like they, they have a donor for us and we both kind of looked at the email and you know the donor had blue eyes and the donor was slightly taller and we're like oh wow she's she sounds fantastic she's into music she was in you know she loves snowboarding and all, all this other these other things and we thought okay let's let's take a step back and let's, let's chat tonight. And it was actually quite funny because, because we went with a, a clinic in Greece, the, the women who donate um, are they're Greek women. Um, and one of the things that the, the, actually in both clinics, they said to me when they're going through the characteristics, they said, listen, blue eyes aren't really common in Greece, but we'll keep an eye out for that. And um, <laughs> really tall women aren't very common in Greece, but you know, you're very tall, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. And to actually kind of, get those two things um yeah it was actually like it was a sign so and when we got that donor profile I think that for me just kind of solidified it we knew right away this was the donor for us and Mm -hmm. that you know kind of thinking back to when we had to make that decision with the first donor that came to us and we didn't feel right about it that 
almost solidified it. We knew when when it was right for us. It was like the opposite feeling. Yeah. And so what happens then? They do all of the, the egg harvesting separately in Greece. Yeah. Um, and yeah, ultimately what they do is they they do the egg collection. Um, they do the egg collection with, with the donor. Um, and it was actually funny because the, the donor started her cycle in the, the kind of the, the drug cycle. It was late August, beginning of September. So it was after kind of the summer holidays. And we actually were, we flew out to Greece. It was just a sheer coincidence that we decided to go to Greece for a long weekend. It was our, our wedding anniversary weekend. Um, and that's when um, we were going to go and um, get kind of our blood work done and everything and, and do some of the tests that we had to do on our end. Um, and also my husband was going to give his, um, his sperm sample. Um, and that just so happened that it was actually the weekend we were there was the same weekend that, um, that our donor was going to have her egg collection. <laughs> And wow. I remember sitting in the clinic. I mean, we don't know who she is. The, the increase, the, the donors are 100% anonymous. Um, okay. But I couldn't help but sitting in, in the reception. It was on a Monday that she was coming in um, for her egg collection. It was on a, a Monday that we were there to, for Elias to give his, his second sample. And with, I mean, you know full well that every woman that walked into that clinic, I was sitting there checking to see if she had blue eyes. <laughs> blue eyes. <laughs> of and course. To some degree, like, I don't want to know, but I kind of wanted to know, but I just, I had to put yeah. it in my mind. I kind of got distracted by everything else, by the books or the whatever else was it was in the clinic. And, and <laughs> um, yeah, so she, you know, she had her collection and a few, you know, within a couple of days we had, um, news from the clinic that with Leah's sperm that he had um that he'd given the sample of that weekend and, and the eggs we had uh we ended up with ultimately th- um three day five blastocyst um wow. embryos so three good number uh two were uh were really good quality and one was ec- excellent quality um okay so yeah and, and from that point that was really that was that was uh, se- I think it was September September 2018 that we were kind of like great we're we're back um we're back on track um but it was actually in that appointment where they kind of did a a scan of my uterus where we found that um, I had some uterine polyps and a few fibroids that had grown back so we were kind of like come on you've you've got to be kidding me (laughs) But, Give us a break. Yeah, exactly, right? Kind of some stuff. We waited all this time, but they weren't concerned about the fibroids. Um, they were in a position where they didn't think it would impact pregnancy. They were concerned about one of the polyps um, that it could impact it, it taking. And um, so I, uh, you know, basically we came back to London and I went and I saw the doctor uh, here in London and they put me on a, on a wait list to have um, the polyp removed because ultimately we had three embryos we didn't want to take any chances that no that that we could potentially um you know that it could impact the pregnancy and that's where we kind of were put in a bit of a holding pattern um so we decided to you know go through the nhs to get the polyp removed um i'd actually gone in for an initial appointment which they just do under um a local anesthetic and a hysteroscopy but it was um it was just it was it was too painful. I, could, I couldn't tolerate it. So they decided that they needed to remove it under a general anesthetic, um, which meant I put got put on another wait list to have that procedure done. Um, and I think I remember sitting in 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 the clinic with um, 
the, the doctor at, at the hospital here in London and I just kind of burst into tears. I'm like, I have been waiting so long, so long for this. And now you're telling me it could be another eight to 12 weeks. And she said, listen, I'm going to put you on a wait list if you don't mind coming in last minute. Um, she goes, that might speed things up. But often what ended up happening, we kind of hit the 10 week mark, hadn't even okay. had an appointment yet um, <sighs> scheduled. And this was kind of, it was over kind of the Christmas period. So it was, you know, it was just a crazy time. And I think by kind of early January, we just decided, listen, we can't wait any longer. And I ended up having them removed um, privately. I went to see a, a gynecologist okay. privately and, and he did it for me. So by kind of the end of January, um, 2019, I was, uh, we were kind of ready to go. Like my, my uterus was, was finally ready. We oh had goodness. embryos. And <laughs> what age were you at that point, Andrea? I was 43. 43 okay so you were thinking like let's let's get moving you had to make that yeah you had to make that decision. yeah, yeah. And, and actually to add kind of another layer to it um I have um a hereditary blood clotting disorder um so oh, on top of that that you know <laughs> just getting pregnant puts me at a high risk of blood clots um okay. the fact that I was I was having I was at an advanced maternal age put me at yeah. an even higher risk the fact that I had to undergo um fertility drugs was another risk factor. Um, we found out because of the fibroid surgery a couple of years earlier, we knew that I was going to have to have birth by a cesarean. So there was all these other factors. So we were working really closely then with my hematologist here in London. So there was a lot of coordination with them. And I ha I mean, I have to give them credit. They, I walked in and I was complicated process for them. And I complicated it even further by wanting yeah. to fly to Greece to have this embryo transfer. <laughs> Yeah, and, you did. I just, you know, just every step of the way. But, you know, I think they resisted a little bit because they were like, why are you going to Greece? And I'm like, it is a very good clinic. My husband is Greek. It's not it's not like we just, you know, went through the yellow pages or something and, and picked any. Kind yeah. Of um, we did a lot of research. And it was a considered decision. Yeah. And it was kind of I had this procedure in January. By the end of January, my uterus was ready to go. By kind of early February, the hematologist was on board. We had a plan in place. And, um, you know, with the my, my period that I had um, at the end of February, that was kind of what kickstarted it. And then we started the process for getting ready for the embryo transfer. Um, and a month later, it, uh, it was the, I believe it was the 23rd of March, 2019, um, we flew to Greece, uh, six o'clock in the morning, we flew to Thessaloniki. Um, and by two o'clock, I think two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I had my embryo transfer. <laughs> wow. And it worked. And it worked. Um, it was actually one week, uh, eight, eight days later, I went and I had a, I had a blood test um, here at a, a private clinic in, in London. Um, and it was actually it was a Saturday. I had to go in for the, for the blood test. And she said, listen, we'll probably know today. We'll give you a call with the results of, of your pregnancy test, blood test. And I said, okay. We had some friends over that night for dinner and it was like eight o'clock and we still hadn't heard anything. And um, the patient coordinator, the embryologist at our clinic in Greece was, was emailing us. She's like, have you heard anything? We haven't heard anything. I'm like, no. I said, but, but you know, the clinic isn't open on Sunday. So I'm assuming that we won't find out until Monday. So I guess we just wait, which was disappointing because I had planned on hearing that day. Um, yeah. And I woke up early Sunday morning. It was actually Mother's Day. And um I, I had to take, I still have to take the, the drugs um, that you take kind of following an embryo transfer. And yeah. I looked at my phone and I realized that I had an email from, from the patient coordinator in Greece. And she said it was, it was about one in the morning Greek time. 
And she's like, I couldn't wait to tell you. She goes, congratulations, you're pregnant. And I, I oh it was like God. six o'clock in the morning and I rolled over and I was like, <laughs> like shoving my husband. The, the dog was going nuts because I was screaming. I'm like, it worked. It worked. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's how we got pregnant. <laughs> Wow. Oh my goodness. You defied all odds there, didn't you? You really, there are so many points at which someone might've just given up. Someone else would probably have just given up all those things you, you that you went through. It's amazing that you had success in the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I do feel like, you know, a friend of mine said when I was, I was quite heavily pregnant and she, she came to London for a visit and she saw me pregnant and, and she just looked at me. She's like, honestly, she goes, you've defied all odds. <laughs> You have, you did. (laughs) She's like, I couldn't be happier for it. And actually this particular friend, she had actually, um, she had actually had IVF treatment. Uh, I believe she had just turned 40 when she had given birth and she, you know, she was, she was single. She really wanted a child. So she kind of, you know, got a sperm donor and and did it on her own. So she really kind of understood the process and the emotion of it. And she was, she was my, really my, my sounding board through a lot of it. I do, I do feel like to some degree is, um, yeah, I don't want to say miracle child, but it, because it was, it's all science really. Um, yeah. but to some degree it, it is because, you know, there was many points along the way where we were like, this is just not going to happen, um, mm. for us. And, you know, just when we thought we were taking, you know, step forward, maybe, you know, knock back a few steps, but it really, for us, it was, you know, and now we have a, a seven month old child who, is he's incredible and I, I kind of find it you know funny people often say to me like oh he looks so much like you Andrea I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what it's you know there's two things I'm going to take away from that firstly I just think your tenacity is amazing to just keep going and keep trying and you know to stay so positive about the whole thing through what yeah. was very obviously very difficult yeah. but also as you say science is incredible it is. and it's just so brilliant what they can do for you even if you think about two different clinics in two different countries Mm -hmm. operating for you to make this happen is is incredible it is it is and it's uh you know I think I never really I don't heard of sperm sperm donation I had a lot of friends who had who had had sperm donors um you know people who had decided to have have children on their own um so I, I knew about that I think egg donation was not something that I I mean I'd I'd heard of it but I didn't think it was that that common and actually I'm finding that you know like I said uh, a bit earlier I'm finding that's actually a lot more common than than expected and did I think yeah. this is this was going to be the way I was going to have a child no of course not no one really thinks that way but um but but it was and you know there's obviously not not a not a I'm very I'm very grateful for that I'm very grateful that I had some really great doctors and and really great people who who you know really helped make this make this a reality for us and what would you say Andrea if you know if we had a listener that was thinking about um egg donation what what advice would you give to them I mean this is a very personal decision I think you know every starting a family in general is a very personal decision whether or not you want to have kids is 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 a decision you need to make for yourself you and, and and your partner um you know if uh even even under you know deciding to 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 have IVF is a very personal decision you know I know lots of couples Mm -hmm. who tried for a long time and they just kind of accepted well you know what it's not going to happen we don't want to go down the IVF route for whatever reason 
and that's a very personal decision. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I think that's something that you you know one really needs to kind of take stock and 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 think about if you know this is something that they really want to do because it is it physically yes it it, it is a, a toll on you physically because you do have to go through the, the process of kind of that that embryo transfer. Um, but you know you really have to um, consider you know what what that what that means for you and I think that's why they um, a lot of clinics insist um, or strongly recommend going to see a counselor for that and that's someone that can that can really um, kind of help unpick some of that Um, I mean in our case for us it it we you know right away we knew that's how we wanted to 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 start our you know family because we we kind of unfortunately we'd run out of options but Mm. At the end of the day, if you really want a child, and if that's you know this is the way it's going to happen, it's 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 no different than than having a child that you know has has your your DNA. <laughs> um, I don't think. And, yeah. And one thing that you know, I, I think I was, I was you know telling you that I, I did a lot of googling actually just to really understand because I didn't know anyone who had um, egg donation, and I remember reading an article. It was a, I think it was a Guardian article, and it was from probably 2010 or something. So it was quite an old one, but a woman who had had um, a pregnancy through egg donation. And there was a quote in it from her husband that really stuck with me. And he said, you know, this, even though the egg didn't come from my wife, it was actually her body that grew it. And that's something that really Mm -hmm. stuck with me. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't my egg, um, but it was, you know, it was, this is my husband's child and it's, it was my body that that grew this baby, and I remember the first time I felt the baby kick. It was uh, it was a Saturday morning. My husband had taken the dog out for a walk, and I was lying in bed, and I was thinking, "Oh, my stomach is really my stomach is really upset." And mm-hmm. I thought, I think we'd had a, this. Really, this was, was quite funny because I think we had like a cheese board for dinner that before. I was like, "Oh, I'm really regretting that that cheese." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I sat up in bed. I'm like, "I think that's the baby kicking." And so I was texting a friend of mine. I'm like, "Does it feel like?" you might have gas when the baby kicks and she said <laughs> yes it does she goes or bubbles <laughs> and I'm, you're like he's kicking I'm like, I think you think he's kicking and Leah's came through the door I'm like the baby's kicking what's <laughs> going on but so I was shouting but it was at that moment that I realized that this is me that that you know that egg yes it helped create this embryo but it's my body that is and it's me that's growing this baby. And, and there's a lot of studies out there that look at, you know, that, um, that physical and emo- that emotional connection between a mother and, um, and, a, and a donor egg. And, and, you know, it's no different than, uh, you know, a woman who gave birth with, with, her, with her own egg. And I, you know, I can absolutely see that. I was never really worried about that because I knew it would be me growing, you know, growing him and, and kind of creating this, this human being. Um, but yeah, that, you know, just that moment when they put him on my chest after he was born, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I did this, this is, you know, we did this, we had to kind of jump through all the hoops. And I think, you know, it's a long-winded way of saying to anyone that it doesn't matter how, how it happens necessarily. It's, it's, it's it's your child, you're going to love it just as much as, Mm -hmm. as, as anything. Um, And, you know, it's, if, if, if that's something that, you know, that 
if that's an option that's being presented to you and you really, really consider it. Um, Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Andrea. Thank you. Uh, just fantastic. And I bet this will be so useful for our listeners. I hope so. So uh, now we move on to our favorite section, positive moment of the week. Uh, Tasha, what do you have for us? Okay, I'm actually, I, I started off when we were talking before Annie by being like, it's all been rubbish. Um, <laughs> but actually thinking back, I've put some coping mechanisms in place already, which I've totally forgotten about. Um, and that is that we have booked a lovely little um, hilltop or hillside um house in italy in the chianti region for a month Um, amazing i know really exciting i've got some holiday and i'm going to be working from there um i've double checked on the wi-fi (laughs) and crucial um, i know exactly how are we going to podcast from you know italy Oh my God, you're going to be so smug. (laughs) I'm just going to be smugging over hopefully some hot days, although I think it might be a bit raining as well. Um, So my next step really, Annie, is to try and convince you and Alex to come out with us uh, for a free holiday. So, you know, um, I'm going to figure out after this podcast how to do that. And yeah, you never know that that may happen. I might take you up on that. <laughs> Can you imagine? We haven't we haven't seen each other physically for months. Could you imagine? Oh if my we god, so long! Oh my god, so yeah. Lush. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my positive moment of the week is uh, lower key than that, but um, I think it kind of ties into our theme of the week, which is pivot. Um, where I have been trying to buy a women's racing bike for so long, like honestly. There's this is genuine news story about how they've gone out of stock across the UK. And so I decided to pivot and dropped my bike in. It took I dropped my bike in for a service last week, but there was a two week wait and then took one week for it to be done. But I picked it up this morning and my old bike is just reformed. It's like a new racer, to be honest. And um, I've been cycling all around the streets of Penge this morning. So really positive moment with a little bit of a pivot stuck in there. Keeping with the theme. <laughs> can imagine you like the little road runner going, meep, meep, around the... <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. Around the <laughs> I love it. Okay, so that's everything from us from this week. Um, as always, please do get in touch, especially if you have um, ideas of things that you would like us to cover. Uh, we'd love to know what you'd like to hear. So you can follow us on Instagram on the underscore unplanned underscore pause or you can contact us via email at the unplanned pause at gmail.com thanks very much for listening bye bye